Welcome to Art Talks. Thank you for joining us today for our look into the architecture profession and how it is addressing the difficulty of attracting women into the field of architecture. And once they do enter the field, what can be done to halt the exodus of women who leave the profession either soon after graduating from college or during the early stages of their careers? Today, we'll also explore some of the challenges and opportunities women face as they advance their careers first as students and then as associate architects and perhaps becoming a senior member of a firm and eventually a full partner. One area we'll discuss is the impact that living in a state and society that is dominated by one faith like we have here in Utah may have on women and their career development. When I set out to do a story on women in architecture, my focus was going to be on the early pioneering women who defied all obstacles to become architects. I was going to focus the show on architects like Mary Coulter, who designed numerous buildings throughout the Southwest and California for the Fred Harvey Company. Several of the most iconic buildings at Grand Canyon National Park which I'm sure you may have seen, include places like Hermit's Rest, the Hopi House, the Desert View Watchtower, and Phantom Ranch. She also did the Posada Hotel and Union Station in Los Angeles. Many of her works are now on the National Register of Historic Places. Another early woman architect I was impressed by was Julia Morgan. She designed over 700 buildings during her long career. She is best known for her work on the Hearst Castle in San Simeon, California. Ms. Morgan, who was the first woman admitted to the architecture program at the L'Ecole des Beaux-Arts in Paris, designed many buildings for the Young Women's Christian Association, including the YWCA in Salt Lake City. These first female architects were truly groundbreakers. They didn't have an easy go of it. Most architecture programs didn't even permit women to enroll in classes. Columbia University was one of the few schools at the time that admitted women. As late as 1950, women in New Jersey, my home state, couldn't even enroll in college architecture programs. The first woman known to work as a professional architect in the United States was Louise Blanchard Bethune. She was born in Waterloo, New York, and worked primarily in the Buffalo area. She started her career as a draftsman in 1876 and worked as an apprentice for five years before opening an office with her husband. At the time, it was common to learn architecture while working for an established firm rather than go to college. Bethune was named the first female associate of the American Institute of Architects in 1888 and its first female fellow in 1889. And as you can imagine, Ms. Bethune was no pushover, by the way. In 1891, she refused to compete in a design competition for the women's building at the World Columbian Exposition in Chicago because male architects were going to be paid $10,000 for their designs while women were only going to receive $1,000 for their designs. I can just hear her. 
they get 10, I get 1? I don't think so. The gender wage gap was already discriminating against women. And remember, that was 1891. It is still a major issue today, not only for women architects, but for many women in other professions here in Utah and throughout the United States as well. In fact, the 2014 U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics reported that full-time male architects made 20% more on average than their female counterparts. If you do a search on Google about early women in architecture, you'll find scores of biographies about women who overcame the discrimination and lack of opportunities to pursue a career in a field that was the bastion of white men and their wealthy patrons. Today, women still face enormous challenges if they wish to become an architect. As I mentioned earlier, my original idea for the show was about looking into the early careers of the trailblazing women who wanted to be architects. But it was the stories of the grit and determination that these women showed to persevere against the discrimination and lack of opportunities they encountered while wanting to become something they loved. That steeliness became the story. Why are there so few women architects today? What are the unique challenges they face in the workplace? Are the fields of architecture and related programs like civil engineering just not suitable for women? If she is trying to juggle a career with home life, is it just too much? And what about men? Do they face the same challenges? To find out more about why there are so few women architects, I interviewed several people in the field to talk about their careers, what it takes to become an architect here in Utah and the U.S., and what can be done to increase the opportunities for women who may be considering becoming an architect. I also reached out to the American Institute of Architects, also known as AIA, in Washington, D.C., to find out what the organization is doing to attract more women and people of color to become architects. We'll also talk with the president of Utah Women in Architecture about what their association is doing to attract and keep women in the field. And finally, we'll speak with a local architect and hear about her experiences as a young female architect here in Utah. So how daunting is it if you are a woman and you hope to one day become an architect and lead your own office or dream of becoming a partner in a large office in Salt Lake City, Chicago, or New York? Well, it's not impossible, but the odds are stacked against you. There are female CEOs of some architecture firms They have been able to rise to the top of their companies through hard work, devotion to their jobs, superlative leadership and communication skills, and unbridled determination. But those successes are few. Today, the percentage of women who are the CEO of a major architecture firm is approximately 1%. The number of women who serve as partners and directors of a firm is approximately 17%. What do these numbers say to a young woman who is thinking about a career in architecture? Over 80% of you will never become a partner in a firm. And if you are a person of color, the odds are even more distressing. Utah AIA membership 
is now around 745 members. Of that total, 112, or approximately 15%, are women. 15%. It's not just architecture that is having a difficult time attracting and keeping women in the industry. Women only represent 14% of civil engineers. And I bet the trends are similar if we looked at other engineering-related fields. So what is it about architecture? To answer those and some other questions, I spoke with Heather Wilson, the executive director of the Utah chapter of the American Institute of Architects. Welcome, Heather. Let me ask you, first of all, what is AIA? AIA is the American Institute of Architects. It was uh, founded in 1857, so it's a nationwide uh, organization uh, founded in order to kind of pull best practices and initially to endorse licensure for all architects, a, a, uh, a normalized licensure standard across the nation. Um, and now really we exist to support our professionals uh, who are always engaged in their communities in, you know, creating better places to live, work, and play. Tell me, how does someone become a licensed architect or registered architect? What, what is the exact phrase uh, for that? Either one of those is okay. correct. Um, okay. Registered architect. Um, in fact, the licensing, national licensing body is the National Council of Architectural Registration Boards, NCARB. NCARB. Um, yeah, and so that is the licensing body for architects. Uh, you have to have an education at an accredited university here in Utah right now, although there are some other schools trying to come online. We have the University of Utah's architecture program, um, which is accredited through, there was a lot of acronyms here, but through the National <laughs> Architectural Accreditation Board, which is called NAB. Uh, and then so if you get one of those degrees and then you complete years of uh, some experience mm -hmm. out in the field as a uh, candidate for licensure, then you can take the exam. Uh, how it's how many years? Party. Yeah, it's like you get the, you get the, then you get the joy. It's like medicine, right? You, yeah. you uh, get your practical degree and then you do some time on the floor uh, and then you get to sit for the exam. Also lawyers, I think, undergo a similar process. How many years did you say it is, that apprenticeship? It kind of varies on your level of intensity. Uh, they, oh. the, the way that the um, hours are structured, you just have to reach a certain number of them. So you, I think it's 5,600 hours of um, experience in seven key areas that have to do with creating documents or um, drawing and sketching and helping to create um, the design development uh, with okay. a client or all the way through, um, you know, closing a document out in construction. Okay. So it's a pretty lengthy and extensive process. For those who dedicate themselves to it, it's not because you, yeah, you think you're going to get a ton of money. It's because you really love what you're doing. Yeah. 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 Uh, how many members do you have? In Utah, we have uh, 721 members or so at our last count. And uh, nationally, AIA has about 95,000 members. So My it's a pretty large organization. Wow, that is big. Yeah. 
Um, and we represent, um, you know, pretty much, uh, you don't have to be an AI member to be an architect. I think that's kind of the the secret <laughs> we love it, that people want and do associate AIA uh, with good architects, but it's not um, required to be an architect to join AIA. We just provide really good services. And I think that's why our members stick around. Huh. Uh, but there are more architects than that in Utah. There's about 2000 architects uh, who hold licenses. Right. Uh, in Utah, all of them don't live here. So, like, you can live in California and have a Utah license. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Well, uh, that's like other professions, right? Like where a lawyer might be be admitted to the bar in four or five or six states. Exactly. Exactly. It is, so if you come to a state, say, say you're from New Jersey like me, and you already have, you're already practicing in New Jersey, and you move to Utah— what, what what would the process be to get that person licensed here or or whatever the word is in Utah? Yeah, no licensed, registered either. Um, you would come to, uh, here's another acronym, the Division of Occupational Professional Licensing, which uh-huh. is DOPL. And there's one in every state. Okay. Um, every state has a regulating body for all of these licensed professions. And uh, you would submit your application in that state. Um, and they in he, in Utah we require proof of your NCARB certification. Uh-huh. So you're you've passed the exam. Sure. And um, and then uh, if the if you're like an international someone coming with a different level of exam and you don't exactly have an NCARB cover, that's mm-hmm. what we call it a blue cover. Uh-huh. Uh, then you might have to take a, some additional education or exam. Um, equivalents okay. to get your license in in Utah. Let me has um, has AIA taken a position on gender pay equity in Utah? Um, absolutely, um, and nationally, of and course. nationally, sure. Of course, um, we we believe that, um, and we in our women in architecture committees are dedicated to um, educating our firms around how to get to uh, equity pay. Um, Celestia, I think, is one of those people who's been a great ambassador around delivering the message around why transparency around pay isn't taboo, why uh, it's okay to tell your uh, coworker how much you make and why. And, and let's open up some of these conversations because some of the reason they've been hidden is so that those, those tactics can continue and and transparency will help eradicate that. Yeah. And I don't, and that's not unusual. I mean, in, in uh, most firms, nobody sits there saying, wow, how much do you think Joe makes? Right. No, not in a law firm, not in a, and that's why we're nationally, right? We know that women make 70 cents on the dollar. So Mm. it's not just something that's, that's our problem alone. And that's part of why we know we can tackle it is because it's, and we, we might even be well-equipped to do it because we're creative design thinkers. Like we can undo these knots that took a long time to design to get here. Well, I know that's going to take a lot of work because it's not just architecture. It's, it's across the board in, in probably if we were sitting here talking about uh, law firms, I bet Mm -hmm. you they have similar issues. Their history, quite frankly, is something that we've looked at as an industry. Uh-huh. Um, 
And we've looked to our friends at the American Bar Association to help lead us with best practices around better, you know, understanding of what we're what we're doing or not doing that that is that should be applied to get further ahead faster. We do understand the imperatives around it, I think, as an industry. The wage pay gap is likely one of the main issues that drives women from the industry, but there are several others. To find out more about these, I had a lengthy discussion with Celestia Carson. Celestia is a partner with the architecture firm VCBO in Salt Lake City. She is also the president of Utah Women in Architecture. And I asked her to tell us about the organization and what can be done to attract more women into the profession. So tell, tell me about uh, Utah Women in Architecture. Tell me about your association, um, what you, its primary goal, uh, things like that. How many members do you have? Okay, yeah. So Women in Architecture, um, as, a, as an organization, we started. We're a grassroots local organization, a nonprofit. We started in 2012, and it really just started as, you know, an idea uh, a mm-hmm. drive and a passion among myself and, and a few other um, local women architects. And we are, it's very simple. We have a singular goal of gender parity in the field of architecture. Hmm. We are looking towards our profession reflecting the demographics of uh, the world that we live in. Um, it's safe to say that architecture, like many professional um, many professions, does not have gender parity. It's, it's a male-dominant profession. And um, our organization really seeks to encourage more women into the profession and, most importantly, retain the women that we have. We do that through uh, community mentorship, advocacy, and, um, yeah, hmm. that's, that's what, we're, what we're about. Great. Um, you, know, you mentioned uh, parity. And I, I was doing some research, uh, and what I found was that in 2018, approximately 20% of licensed architects were women. Does that sound mm-hmm. low to you? Or is that that? That was a, a, from an article in the New York Times. And then. Well, it's, it sounds too low. Yeah. To yeah. Um, well, too, yeah, too low to you. But I'm just curious. Um, I, I don't know. I don't that know. That sounds reflective of the environment that I work in. I mean, I think that sounds looking around mm-hmm. uh, at my peers and other firms and our professional community. That number sounds about right. Okay. And it's, in my opinion, too low. Yeah, that's incredibly low. And and the other part of that was that's. Um, of principals in firms, women make up only 17% of the principals. And again, this was in 2018. Uh-huh. And, and these are national numbers. I think it's important to, to know. Yes. These, are, these are national numbers, and it's safe to say our, our local numbers, our Utah numbers, are, are lower than both of those statistics. Okay. Um, so let me ask, let me ask you this, how, how, what's the percentage of partners or principals of women at your firm at VCBO? 
That's a great question. We have three women principals mm-hmm. at our firm, and there are 12 of us total. Okay, so three out of 12. Okay. And, and, and um, uh-huh. our firm is, is admittedly one of the, the, the larger firms um, in Utah. Uh-huh. Uh, we're one of about maybe sort of five larger scale firms a large percentage of architecture firms. So when I say larger scale, I'm looking at somewhere in the range of, you know, I don't know, 75 to 120 people. Our firm uh, currently has, um, I don't know, roughly 95 people. Okay. So there, there are only a handful of firms locally that are at that scale. Most firms are, are mid-size, but we would consider maybe around 30 or so people. Uh-huh. And then there are quite a few offices that are, are small, um, five to 10 people or sole proprietors. Uh-huh. And um, when you look at the, uh, this is something I actually, I, I did look up recently. I was on the, the AIA website um, for Utah, mm-hmm. uh, AIA being the um, American Institute of Architects and our local chapter uh, of Utah AIA lists Utah firms on their website, and they have something like, I don't know, 130 or so offices listed. And of those, only about 20 have women principals. And of those 20, I would say there's probably less than five where women are majority shareholders. And those are primarily sole proprietor firms where it's, you know, a woman architect who owns her own office. So, so it was 20, approximately 20 out of how many firms? A hundred? About 130. 130. Where, where, where women are principals at that office. Right. So, it, again, it does make up a broad spectrum of offices. So, you know, a firm like ours, we have 12 principals. Others may have, you know... 10 to 15 in that range. Smaller mid-sized firm may only have a, a couple owners. But looking through the list, mm-hmm. I could only count um, that I knew of about 20 firms that have women principals. Well, that's, if you're a young girl or young woman and, and you're interested in being an architect in Utah, that's pretty depressing. If, if your goal is ultimately to um, perhaps be a director of, of a firm. Um, and do, what, what message do, do those kinds of numbers say to a young woman who wants to become an architect? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, there's there's a saying, you can't be what you don't see. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's true. I think a lot of young girls maybe don't see themselves in the career of architecture or mm-hmm. as a leader uh, within a firm because they don't see very many examples of women in those positions. And that's true not just in architecture. That's true in other professions. Um yeah. And so that, that, that is a challenge. I'm, I'm guessing if we looked at civil engineering fields and firms in Utah um, and, and maybe some other uh, design building firms, it, 
would I be wrong to guess that the percentage of women in principal ship roles is probably low and perhaps similar to those in architecture? Well, there, uh, it's just a there guess. are sides of our industry that are definitely worse. As bad as the numbers may be for architects, there are women. Really? Um, you know, when you look at the, the, the side of, of our industry, sort of the architecture, engineering, construction industry, um, the numbers of engineers are lower than that. Really? Um, when you look at the construction industry, the numbers of, of women are, are certainly far lower. And um, I think that the one difference may be um, architecture is interesting because when you look at the numbers of women coming out of architecture school, so graduating with um, degrees in architecture, nationally speaking, women make up about 50% of a graduating class. The numbers are, are quite, quite equal. Right. Um, it's only as you progress in your career that we have difficulty retaining women. Um, whereas when you compare our industry to that of perhaps um, engineering or construction, unfortunately, their numbers from the get-go are low and then hmm. drop from there. Let's, uh, that's really interesting. Let's, um, well, how do issues like pay differential between men and women, um, perhaps raising a family, um, I'm, I'm guessing that those have an impact on women who graduate with a degree, working in the field for a few years, and perhaps did, they're not seeing the same kinds of advancement opportunities or equal pay. Do yeah, I think, I mean, I, I do think those are certainly factors, um, and that can happen. It, it hopefully doesn't, doesn't always happen. Um, but the issue is more complex than that. I think there okay. are, are numerous factors that, that play into... Um, the reason that that women leave the profession. So, what are the know, what what, um, what do you see? What are the factors that might lead a woman to leave the profession? Sure. So you know, I I, I think maybe sort of right off the bat, you look at um, in order to become a licensed architect, you have to have a, a graduate degree in the field of architecture, so a master's degree. In the field of architecture, there there is also a, a bachelor's option, but I think the majority um, go with this, this master's degree. And that's a two year program. Um, and then that's a two year program. A, a two year professional degree, right? Beyond okay. a bachelor. Yes. Okay. And then, um, you know, I'm sure Lisa talked about this. And then, as you move, uh, you have to have a number of hours working in the field um, as a licensing candidate, and then you have to pass a series of quite difficult exams. Right. To become licensed, and all of this happens if you think about, you know, those, um, you know, just the process of, of getting a um, a master's degree. Most people may delay marriage or starting a family until after they graduate, and then as they move into a professional field, they're balancing perhaps, you know, um, 
starting a family at the same time that their career is initiating. Right. And it can frankly be a very challenging time. Um, you know, architecture has a, a culture of um, long hours mm-hmm. and um, initially very relatively low pay for a career with that requires a professional degree. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are, those are some factors right at the beginning. I mean, you think about, so you're starting a family, um, your salary may be relatively low, mm-hmm. and you now have to balance the cost of childcare. And, um, you know, questions arise is within this very demanding career. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, I think there are times that you think to yourself, is this worth it? Is this career I'm pursuing, this passion that I'm pursuing, worth these challenges? Here's a question for you. And I, I, I don't even think of this, but um, after listening to you, is it, is it fair that the process is so hard if you want to be a licensed architect? Or it, is that a relevant question? You know, so what yeah, you, what I you, mean, I, 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 well, when you say is the process so hard, um, you know, the role of an architect um, is incredibly important. I mean, uh-huh. the, um, the burden that we carry in, in designing um, commercial building uh-huh. is, is critical. And um, as a licensed architect, we, we carry the responsibility of what we call sort of the health, safety, and welfare of the occupants of the structures that we design. Sure. sure. And I think the threshold for minimum competency for someone in that position arguably should be high. Uh-huh. Um, I, I think, you know, would you ask that same question of a physician, for instance? You know, should it be easier to become a physician? You know, when we're looking at gender parity, isn't, it isn't a matter of whether or not it should be easier. Um, uh-huh. that, that isn't the issue. Um, yeah, no, I guess my question is more along, and I get that, and I fully appreciate that an architect's role is critical to um, the, the safety and welfare of the people living or working in that building. They want to know that it's not going to fall down um, or something is, is not going to work the way it's supposed to. And I get what you said about, do you make it easier to be a doctor? I guess I'm thinking of it more along the lines of, here's a profession, and a, a wonderful profession, that for some reason is just not getting um, women into the profession who are really want to stay in the profession and can and will do what they have to, or may, maybe they are, and maybe it's only twenty percent. I I don't know. You know, I I think the factors that maybe should be looked at mm-hmm. are. Um, Greater access to child care as one. Oh, good. Uh-huh. Um, changing, the, changing the culture of long hours, tight deadlines. And part of that is also sort of changing the culture of, um, you know, our fee structure 
expected deadlines by clients, uh-huh. um, increased pay, seeing more women in leadership roles. Yeah, um, that and and I think that would be key that uh, here uh, to a young woman in a firm who, when she looks across the table at at uh, a staff meeting, she sees people who look like her, the people in mm-hmm. in in positions of leadership. She sees women in some of those roles, and and, and mm-hmm. to me, I to me that that would be important, and I think that maybe mm-hmm. I think you're right is to see some kind of um, increase in those areas. The other one, of course, is pay differential. And some of the reading that I've come across um, does indicate that, that that is a key issue with, yeah, with retention. Yeah, what's really interesting about pay differential, and, and I, you know, I, uh, there is a lot of research on this. Um, and you're a principal. You're, you're a principal there. Do, do you see? Do people come to you? Some of the women and say, "Hey, you know, Bob is making. I think Bob's making a lot more than me, and we're doing the same thing. And I'm leading the project. What, what's going on here?" Well, you know, admittedly, um, uh, I think our industry probably also has a culture where, uh, you know salaries are, are not necessarily open and not discussed. And so right. I, I think that conversation doesn't happen as much as it should um, because, you know, arguably people may not know where they right. fall um, other than within a range based on a role. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, it, 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 it's so complicated because I, I think what happens more often isn't, you know, I don't think anybody intentionally, I look around at my male partners and, and you know, I, I, I think many people I knew, know through business, it's never the intention to pay someone less because of their gender, because of their ethnicity, whatever it may be. Uh-huh. Um, what it comes down to, in my mind, more often is implicit bias. So okay. there are these sort of gut reactions to an individual that result in rationalizing why they might be paid less. For instance, mm-hmm. you know, um, I, you know, they may, they sort of say to themselves, you know, I just don't see Becky as a strong project manager. She has a tendency to, you know, be somewhat um, abrasive with a client, and, and mm-hmm. all of these types of terms are, are, are triggers related to to um, gender bias, uh-huh. right? So it, it isn't it isn't intentional, hopefully not. Yeah. But there's these sort of like rationales that occur that result in in a differential, and they can be very very difficult to overcome. What does uh, VCBO do to to work with a young woman in your office who may be having childcare issues or health issues? And she says, you know, the, the kids are out of school next week, um, whether it, it, maybe it's COVID, and I have to deal with that. And... 
does how does VCO, VCBO deal with some of the issues that we've just been talking about with uh, with with um, doing the best they can to retain women in 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 your firm? Yeah, you know it's it's interesting because I I I've been with VCBO for twenty years mm-hmm. now, and um, I'm very proud of the progress our firm has made in that regard um, and continues to make um, in that way. Mm-hmm. Admittedly, COVID has been really interesting because it has sort of overnight um, forced not just our firm, but, but all offices to, to move to a remote model. Uh-huh. And out of that, I think a lot of people have learned that, that, in some ways is possible. There have been challenges, of course, and um, I think that's something that we'll continue to study as we move into the future. But um, uh, so back, I guess kind of back to your question. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's interesting because, you know, um, although our firm, I would say, you know, we have um, a good percentage of women, comparatively speaking, mm-hmm. we definitely need more. Mm-hmm. Um, that conversation, when it comes up, we absolutely are open to working with whoever it may be uh-huh. um, to balance home life and work life. And I think it's important to note some of some of the best advocates and some of the best avenues for change in that culture have not just been women balancing um, home life and child care, but more and more men have spouses who also work full time. Sure. And I think that's been a really great benefit because, you know, I may get a phone call in the middle of the day because... Uh, you know, my daughter is sick and I have to go home and pick her up. And there is understanding and flexibility in that. Uh-huh. Um, but also one of my partners or a coworker of mine, he might get that same phone call. And um, I think that is also helping change the culture uh-huh. in, um, in, in work-life balance. Well, well, probably it's probably not just uh, a child care issue. So many of us are now dealing with our elderly parents who yeah. mm-hmm. who who may be at home or may still be living alone but but they demand so much of our time that uh, i i it happened to me and I, it happened to friends who it it's certainly yeah it's certainly a, yeah, a difficult we have, issue we have that situation as well absolutely we have mm-hmm. staff who who are um you know, having to to deal with aging parents, some cases, some, you know, that parent may be in another state and, um, you know, that our, our staff may have to take some time to, to you know, help aging parents and, um, yeah. and, and issues that arise. Yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. Um, let, let me, um, do you think women view... view their posi- if they're a junior architect or you know somewhere in the middle of the of the pack in 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 their employment um, did, 
based on some of the numbers that we just talked about, where you, where you said there are three principals out of 12, and your firm is probably um, doing a little better than other firms not in, across Utah, do, do women look at their, those kinds of positions, those junior architects or principal architects, or as a dead-end job? That they're never, they might not ever get any higher than that. I don't know if I would necessarily say that they view it as a dead end job. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what happens more often than not is the challenges and the barriers just may become too great to continue, or perceived to be too great. Um, and, you know, admittedly, there, at least in my, my own experience, you know, there are times where this career can be very demanding mm-hmm. and um, all-consuming, and it can feel very unfair to your spouse. Um, I'm very lucky to have a, a, a very supportive husband um, who does take on equal share within our household, but you know, uh-huh. that's not always the case. Sure. And um, I, I I think what happens is sometimes those barriers just become so great and so exhausting, the path of least resistance is truly just just to leave. A young girl who comes up to you at, at a wherever, and or a friend, uh, uh, one of your, your friend's daughters said, oh, what are you doing? You tell her you're an architect. Oh, I'd like to be an architect. What do you What do you tell that young person about your about your chosen field? I say, do it, pursue it. You know, follow your passion. If it's if it's what you want to do and what you want to be when you grow up, you can do it. Uh huh. And um, don't give up. Uh huh. E- even in spite of some of the things we've talked about. Some well, of the you know, I mean, it's like it, it will never, it, <laughs> again, when we, we talk about the goal of WIA and gender parity in the field of architecture, you know, there are a lot of things that we can do to help change the culture of the profession, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But the single most important thing is that the women who have the passion the talent for design and architecture that pursue this as a career, the single most important thing is for them to stay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, I will, I will encourage, you know, any young girl interested in, in the profession in the field to, to pursue that dream mm-hmm. and to stick it out. In case you just uh, joined us, this is KZMU Art Talks. And we are talking with Celestia Carson, who is representing today Utah Women in Architecture, an association that is based in Salt Lake City. And we're talking about some of the issues affecting women in in their chosen field of architecture. Um, Who are some of the architects, both living and dead, who you admire? So it's interesting. When you say uh, admire, uh-huh. um, you know, I think it's important sometimes to to separate their work 
from the individual. Okay. <laughs> because there are certainly architects that I um, admire their work, um, and you know they may not have necessarily been great people. Some of my fa- favorite architects, particularly sort of coming to design school, um, are Louis Kahn, Mies um, van der Rohe, um, Calatrava. You know, notice I'm 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 naming male architects because yes. that's really who who we learned about. You know, those are the architects sure. that were are celebrated for design, and it, it's only sort of as I've um, you know, moves through my career that um, I've been able to kind of come to learn more about women architects. Yeah, and so, and, and and the reading that I've done, there were so many women, um, the turn of the century in the early 1900s, who had a, an amazing impact on many of the places we go and the buildings we see and never even realized that they were designed by women. Hearst Hearst Castle, designed by a woman. Um, And I don't don't think we, we get to see enough of that. They've done the buildings, we just don't know about it. Mm -hmm. Um, It's interesting you said Calatrava. you know, I have not seen yet, but he, he did some work for the company I used to work with. He designed the Oculus in Lower Manhattan, the the new trains, the new uh, path station, and it looks like a big mm-hmm. bird that's just about to take off. Um, so it's I, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I haven't it seen is, it. It is a stunning and inspiring structure. It's just beautiful. And unfortunately, it cost about four billion, but that's uh, well, it may not have been four billion. It may have only been three billion. I, I forget the final price, but it, but it is incredible. I, I hope to see it this summer. We continued to talk about issues like maternity leave, the challenges of being a woman in a patriarchal society, the hiring practices, and how women's skills are viewed by their male colleagues. Just maybe we touched on this for sure, but the patriarchal society in Utah. What 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 effect do you think that has on um, all the role, the uh, the number of women architects in Utah? And and I, yeah, uh, you know Utah, of course. You know, the predominant culture here in Utah is is inevitably going to add another layer of complexity uh-huh. um, for 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 women and women in business in general. And you know it it, it that impact starts at a very young age, you mm-hmm. know, where young girls are aren't necessarily encouraged in the same way as um, young boys. Um, you know, young girls are not encouraged to see their talent as and passion uh-huh. as a career option, right? It's perhaps more of a hobby than a career. Okay. And um, and that that follows into into their academic pursuits, 
Um, there's some great research about about Utah and the rates of, of girls graduating. I think we have one of the highest rates for, um, you know, women starting college, but unfortunately not finishing degrees, mm. um, which is an incredibly sad statistic, but true. And then, you know, um, those who, who do continue through um, academia and, and, and gain a professional degree, um, you know, they may hold themselves back from really taking strong professional pursuits, mm-hmm. um, sort of putting themselves forward in, for a project management position or new challenges because they're not sure how they might feel about balancing work and home life once they do start a family. Uh-huh. And, you know, it's, 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 it's sad, but those are certainly um, conversations that, that even I've had with some of our, our, our younger female staff who say, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I really want to jump in with both feet because I do want to start a family and I'm not sure I can balance it all. And so, you know, at it, it, it each sort of milestone um, it, it just, it, it, it does add this, um, you know, just a, an added layer of, of complexity in that pursuit. And, and, you know, some of the reading that I, I, I did, and I, I, some of it was in um, a book that I had mentioned to you uh, that had come out a few years ago, talking about women in architecture and where are they. And it 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 talked about it went into some personality issues like um, how a how a woman is received in the office that she mm-hmm. you'll hear people say oh I I don't like her she's so sentimental she gets or mm-hmm. or or he's a real jerk or he's a real leader he takes charge. But then, if a woman, mm-hmm. if if this, if a woman walks into the meeting and takes charge, it's like, oh, what a, you know, B. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I understand that 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 you know w- how people yeah. get judged, and then it, how does that like you just said? How does that affect the next job? That oh, we don't want her yeah. on the team. Yeah, you know, she's abrasive. She's yeah. abrasive. Yeah. The- you know, the double bind for women. The same there's, things there's that great we research. Yeah. About this by um, by Catalyst, and it um, and and it studies just that. It's interesting that you know women are viewed either as competent but disliked. So mm-hmm. if you say you know the bitch, or liked but incompetent, so too soft perhaps, mm-hmm. and um, and. Um, yeah, there, there's a really interesting research study where they, um, you know, they, they took a, a list of traits um, identified, you know, that sort of describe uh, a position in leadership, a boss. Uh-huh. And they put a male name on the top and respondents, you know, sort of rank these traits. And then they put a woman's name at the top and, and you know, are, and those are ranked. And the traits... Um, ranked positively for men are ranked negatively for women. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. And that's what women face every day 
in, in, in their positions. Those biases mm-hmm. that, are, that are built in. And it, it's probably going to take many, many years. Look, hey, go back to 1950. A woman could mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. enroll in an architecture program in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Ni- 1950. That just mm-hmm. seems incredible to me. Um, so, uh, so women I have wanna, a... I, I do want to point out... I do want to point out just briefly that, you know, although the numbers for women and, you know, our organization, Women in Architecture, really works towards gender parity, I think it's really, really important to also note that although we have a gender problem, um, we are by far and away predominantly a white industry. And that problem and issue may even be greater. And the things that we're talking about um, these challenges that women face are exponentially more difficult, I think, for not only people of color, but women of color. And I appreciate you bringing that up. Um, I, I was going to ask some, some questions about that. I bet you, or tell me, tell me, what percentage of uh, architects, women architects in your firm are people of color? That's a great question. Zero. Uh, we do have. Well, let me think. And to, and we not have, only in your firm, but l- l- let's right. broad, let's broaden that. Let's just say, um, well, you know, registered architects in in Utah who are people of color. Do you know that number? We're we're probably in the single digits. I don't know that number. No. I think it's safe to say we're probably in the single digits. Mm-hmm. I think that when you're looking at ethnicity. Um, and, and these numbers are widely available through through NCARB, um, the licensing body. Okay. Um, so you, you can absolutely look them up. But um, we, you know, we do have higher numbers, perhaps, of of Asians um, than any other, you know, ethnic group. Um, the numbers of blacks are incredibly low. Uh-huh. Um, and it's a problem. I mean, it, it is it is a very very serious problem. I think there's there there's a there's sort of a quote I like to say when we're when we're hosting women architecture events. Mm-hmm. You know, Winston Churchill famously once said, "We shape our buildings; thereafter, they shape us." I love that. And you think about architects through design. We have such an, a profound impact on society. You know, imagine the world that we live in where we we work, we learn, we worship is all primarily designed by one singular demographic. Imagine what we're missing by not having more women, more people of color in our industry. After speaking with Ms. Carson from VCBO about issues facing women in architecture, I wanted to get some insight from a woman who operates her own small firm here in Moab about what she thinks can be done to keep women in the industry. To do that, I reached out to architect Courtney Kaiser. Kaiser's firm has over 20 active projects in several western states, including Utah, Colorado, and Montana. The projects include commercial buildings, residential structures, multi-family units, uh, site planning, and hotel development. What do you think can be done in Utah to encourage more women to stay in the field? 
I do think it goes back to support systems and showing these women that there are women in architecture and that it is a fulfilling career. Uh, I just love my job and I love what I do. And I, I do wish that I could share those wonderful emotions with more young women that are interested in becoming architects. What, what can AIA in uh, Utah do to reduce the rate of women that are dropping out of college. One of the things I heard was almost 50% of the students up at the U, at the University of Utah, who are in who are in the architecture program, a great percentage of them leave soon leave the field soon after graduation. And what what can be done to 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 try to reduce that? that dropout rate. One-on-one -on -one mentorship does seem like a really great way to reduce the, the dropout rate. Um, there is a pretty lengthy process to actually get your license. And if you were a woman in an existing market like this where there aren't a lot of other women, I could see how it would be particularly daunting. Um, so I think if there's some sort of way that AIA could help us connect professionals like myself with women that are newly out of school, that that could help with keeping them in the, this career path. I want to thank my guests for agreeing to be on today's show here on KZMU. We heard from them about some of the challenges women face if they pursue a career in architecture. We also heard what employers can do to attract and keep women in their firms, even as they balance their career demands with their home life and all the responsibilities that that entails. The numbers we heard about how few women there are working as licensed architects is disturbingly low, not only here in Utah, but throughout the United States. It is incomprehensible to me that an industry which has enormous impact on our lives Remember, we experience architecture every day as we live and work in our communities. How that industry can continue to operate without significant representation by a gender that makes up 50% of our population. Architecture is really about teamwork. It's the rare project that is designed by one individual. A large project will include input from a variety of disciplines. If the industry continues to explicitly or implicitly discriminate against women or people of color in its hiring practices, the profession will surely suffer from a lack of knowledge, creativity, and personal experience. The industry has discriminated against women for far too long. It's time that the architecture profession recognizes it and takes appropriate steps to make the practice of architecture a field that welcomes all individuals, including women and people of color. Please join us next month for another edition of Art Talks here on Moab Zone KZMU. You can find us at 90.1 or 106.7 on your radio dial. And you can also stream us on kzmu.org. And remember, we are your local community station. 
If you'd like Art Talks or any of the other terrific shows that KZMU offers, then consider making a donation to the station so that we can continue to bring you all the shows that you enjoy and love. So until next month, this is Richard Codd saying thanks for joining us here today for Art Talks.